Hello, and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we dive deep into Wabo's most nocturnal work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And before we dive into uh, CNADA 14.4, just a quick note that we, uh, that super secret announcement that we hinted <laughs> at last episode, <laughs> uh, the video announcing that is up. Um, if you haven't seen it, uh, there's also a longer announcement in the podcast feed of this podcast that you're listening to right now. But um, in short, we're doing a 24-hour live stream on the 7th of March, so get excited. Yes. Uh, I mean, the schedule for that is starting to come together. And I think, yeah, we'll, we'll probably post it as it's evolving yep. soon. Uh, so we'll keep you updated on that. But uh, we're very excited. We're keen for a lot of fan interaction, fan feedback. Like, we want to know what everyone else wants us to do uh and yeah so so hit us up with any suggestions or or whatever yeah um now should we dive into sin ada 14.4 because let's uh let's do it yeah it finally happens blake uh <laughs> blake makes himself wings but more importantly than that i think he finally kind of ruminates on his thoughts and whether they're fully his own which is a long time coming i think yeah and i mean i love how this is like finally finally happening because he's getting wings it's like getting wings is is so blake uh like freedom birds etc it's always sort of been his thing and he he's had so many what i think i'm safe in calling kind of objectively terrible things forced on him by the abyss and he's barely just he's just sort of been like ah you know gotta do you know (laughs) blake gotta do what blake gotta do uh type thing in the face of him and now he finally is getting something that the real him would actually want and i feel like that's what's finally triggering him to be like hey hold on what about all the other things that have happened to me yeah me and it's like it's so it's so funny that kind of this is in a lot of ways the best thing that has happened to him since he was in the drains and it's the first thing that's starting to make him sort of reflect on what's been happening to him the last five arcs yeah um it's good that he finally does this reflection right but it also kind of exposes some horrifying things that he's mostly just been glossing over. Um, he realizes that his long-held belief that he's a terrible artist really is just because Rose got the art, the good at art half of the, you know, of 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 Ross. Um, yeah, which is it's crazy. Like it's crazy that Blake hasn't stopped to think about this a bit more, considering how much importance it seems to have on his life and what is actively happening in the story right now. I mean, it's pretty existentially significant as well yeah. as horrifying. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously he's had, he's had stuff going on, so like, I <laughs> yeah. don't blame him too much. Um, it's not like he's been sitting around doing nothing. Yeah, he's been busy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like this is something we have kind of glossed over as well, and, and in part probably because Blake hasn't, but it's... It's like something that it's like I hadn't thought about it for at least a while, and I was sort of like, "Wow, this that is really fucked up." Like, imagine sort of realizing that it, you know things that you had written off as just something about yourself is actually something that's uh, not true about kind of not quite yourself, um, and it's it's something that was taken from you. Like that would, I mean, yeah, that would suck a lot. Yeah. Like, uh, like good thing it's blake so he doesn't have much time or he doesn't give himself much time to get bogged down in this because i feel like a normal person would very easily get very lost thinking down this train of thought yeah um and it would be so tempting to just consider well all of the aspects of my character everything that i think i'm bad at 
is that just a direct result of intervention? Like, is there any mm, me mm. that actually exists in there? Like, ooh, I hate that. Because, I mean, that's that's the thing, is Blake doesn't just have the classic human experience of what is me. Uh, he has the classic experience of what was me and, yeah. like, what, what's the crap that's filled in the cracks, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's like next level existential horror, and I mean, yeah. I, in this case, I think this is where Blake's uh, mindset, uh, where he tackles life, is a bit of an asset because he doesn't let himself get bogged down in how truly horrifying this this really is. See, you said that that was Blake's mindset, but um, is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So the other thing that is good about this is it kind of helps Blake realize hey, yeah, this is the same thing for Rose. And he kind of has this realisation that for her, not being able to make friends and not being able to have friends is this, um, mm. which is, I mean, it's even more horrifying, right? Like, oh, yeah. I don't want to trivialise the horror that Blake is feeling because obviously it's legitimate, but not being able to make friends, having that be taken away from you is like, oh, God. Um, Especially in a world where connections are so yeah. important. Yeah, um, um, and it... it maybe makes Blake be a bit more empathetic to her. We'll see. It's kind of hard to tell whether it will stick. I mean, he definitely has, like, sympathetic thoughts in the here and now. Yes. Whether those thoughts will last an actual confrontation with Rose uh, and the, uh, you know, overwhelming karma and just natural antagonism these two have for each other, we'll see. But uh, at least he manages to squeeze in a thought of, wow, you know, she's had it pretty tough too. Yeah. Uh, which is fair because yeah. she has. Yeah. Which is good. I mean, now she's engaged to Alistair, so, like, she's not really cruising. (laughs) Yeah, she probably could have got a better husband if she was able to make more friends, you'd think. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so, Blake starts working on his wings, and at first it's kind of triumphant, but it quickly morphs into uh, more body horror as he realises that his body is not aligned with him on how this should work. Yeah, pretty much. I, I I love how quickly this goes from, oh no, like the problem here is that I'm bad at art, and then the the body starts kind of taking over, and you're like, oh, whew, you know, that's okay, Blake's body's going to make it, oh no, no it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's making it terrible. Uh, it's a fun little sort of roller coaster that I think is really capped off with the fact that finally, again, finally, uh, Blake is like, hey, you know what, fuck you, Abyss, uh, yeah. like, no, this is my body, um, still a little bit, and this is something I actually want and I want it done properly and you can fuck off if you're gonna uh, try and take it and I'll even hyena myself to get it the way I want which is you know like that I don't know that's just classic Blake it's like well I'd rather hyena myself than have it your way yeah no it 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 it, it 100% is uh classic Blake um and I, I want to make a comparison to Ward here for a second so spoilers for the current parts of Ward wait wait how current? I'm. I'm. I've only finished Dark Seventeen. Which one's that? The the one before the current one is okay. Dark Eighteen. No, no, you're current enough. Um, okay. So spoilers for up to the end of Arc Seventeen, I guess. Um, <laughs> it it reminds me of, or it starts out reminding me of the way that Victoria in Ward treats her treats the wretch, right? As this kind of thing that exists in her consciousness, even though it never really responds to her, but kind of an ally that she can bounce things off of, is the way that Blake, uh, it feels like Blake treats his body in in this chapter. 
But then his body actively starts responding and you're like, oh, cool, they can have a symbiotic relationship. <laughs> and then it starts getting more and more horrifying and you're like, oh, wait, no, 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 no. Go back to being a silent passenger body. <laughs> um, I, I'd actually argue Blake has probably been more of a silent passenger in, in well, his body yeah. transformations. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that's a fair comparison. I'm, I, I think the really interesting angle about what's happening here with the wings is... These two both kind of want the same thing. They want Blake yes. to have cool wings. Well, yes. they want Blake to have wings. And there's just a disagreement about what kind of wings those are going to be. And I think that's like, you know, it could just be, you know, the Abyss doesn't want him to have wings and Blake wants wings. And, and they're sort of, you know, he's fighting to build them. But I love this angle of fighting over how. Like, it's just it's just an extra little twist that makes it sort of more interesting. And I think fits in with the comparison you made to Ward yeah no it's interesting right and i kind of the way it resolves leaves me with a lot of questions but i guess we'll get to that in a second um so so blake's body continues to fight him before basically asking him to make a deal with the devil right um and blake refuses to to play by those rules yeah and we've already sort of touched on this but this whole situation this is this is vintage blake like this is the blake who you know, is is stood in front of conquest and is like, nah, fuck you. Let's let's do a contest where the odds are stacked in your favor or whatever. Like, fight me in real life. Um, and like the the one who hears is gonna die, and it's just like, nah, fuck that. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna do what I can till then. Like, this is this is some of the most Blake stuff that's happened in a very long time. Yes, it's very like fuck that response. I love it. Yeah. It's great. It's a, it's a it's a good one. Um, yeah. Um, and, and I mean, obviously, like I think we have to talk about how fucking creepy. The, the imagery is here like the he, he feels like a, a a shiver down his his neck mm. which is obviously like a universal sign for something's wrong yep. and that manifests as little bits of his neck actually crawling around and trying to gouge his eyes out which is like yay might be right up there for one of the the wild images that has like pierced my soul the most um which is obviously yeah. like that that's not a that's not a slim category it's um, like his neck turns into little wooden maggots that want yeah. to feast on him it's horrifying it's basically like the scarabs from the mummy but they're little like finger bits every other out. episode with you it's the scarabs <laughs> from the mummy i swear to god i love the mummy everybody go watch the mummy but the brendan Fraser one anyway um yeah i i, I just I, I i i this really got to me for some reason i don't know the idea of your own body kind of tr- sprouting yeah. little little digits and trying to claw your own eyes out was like extra horrifying yeah um and i mean well, let's also talk about how blake blake is kind of he gets out of it because the, the abyss basically uh offers him this deal of i'll take the rest of your flesh and give you the wings the way you want and blake uh you know sort of takes the third option as he's want to do and says no 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 i'll get you a meal from somewhere else and it's going to be even better than this and the abyss kind of seems to be like okay mm. um i i don't know like i mean i it, for me this reminded me of that boogeyman we saw i think it was last arc who was dragging uh the duchamp woman into the abyss yeah um, yeah which actually like the kind Megafire, of butchery uh, character yeah and megafire on our discord kind of pointed out to us as well um that was something that didn't come up in our discussion question but uh probably should have like when we asked if blake should be proud of what he did with the duchamps mm. uh both blake and us forgot about the fact that he didn't really help this woman who yeah was, he just uh, let her die the abyss. Um, so uh, but she like, probably deserved it did she though no obviously um, <laughs> not <laughs> nobody deserves that um 
so I mean, I guess for me, this this invoked that image, and I was like, yeah. oh, I don't, I like, I guess you know, I, I'm not super thrilled about the idea of Blake promising that the abyss is just going to get its meal from somewhere else. Like, unless he's going to give it goblins or, or something, um, like that feels it feels like it's a door that doesn't probably go a good place. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what the what the repercussions of this deal are. I I mm. kind of got the feeling that Blake is like thinks that just throughout his natural, you know, his natural uh, energy and and kind of actions, he's gonna invariably cast people into the abyss anyway, and so it's not like a huge deal to make. But that's yeah. kind of horrifying. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's terrible in its own way. I, I just, I don't know, especially, like, not not even if, even if he doesn't turn into one of these people who's dragging individuals off to the abyss, uh, the way Jacob's Bell is kind of on the line, I don't know if these are the sorts of deals I want Blake making right now. Yeah. Uh, this seems like not the time to be promising the abyss big meals. Yeah, um, yeah. So, Definitely. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to keep my eye out for when the abyss decides to call in this debt, I guess. Yes, we shall see. Um, a fun note is that Blake's sweatshirt, which we've kind of tracked turning into a part of his body over time, now is uh, unraveled and, and becomes the membrane on his wings, which is just a fun progression for this item to go on. Yeah, I originally call like I originally congratulated the sweatshirt on the promotion to becoming a part of Blake's body, but then I realized I don't know if you can be promoted to be part of Blake's body. It's yeah. a bit of a train wreck. Um. I mean, you know, it had a pretty shit gig anyway. It was part of his body. At least now it gets recognition uh, as, like, just a straight-up part of his body. Yeah. Uh, before we move on from this section, from the section where Blake's body turned into maggots to eat his own face, <laughs> it just kind of made me think back to... Do you remember a year ago when Blake was talking about how his body was, like, the one thing that felt like it was his and he had agency over? <sighs> what a sad I mean, thought actually, that is. <laughs> Actually, barely, but uh, yeah, that's a really good point. Back when um, he was getting clean in like yes, Arc yeah, 4 uh, or something. To prepare for the fight against Pose. Yeah. Yep. And he was like, yeah, my tattoos, they're mine, you know, my body's mine. And even even these other things I don't feel that strong of a connection to, but my body is my one thing. It's like, mm. ugh. Sometimes how, I think um, about that and I think, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what a sad God. journey. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you know in uh, it was towards the end of Arc 7 uh mm. and conquest confronted blake with like ghosts of his past yeah like i feel like if you tried to do that now it's actually the ghosts of the past that would be horrified um <laughs> of what blake has become not the current version of blake yeah the ghosts of the past would have no impact on blake because he doesn't remember longer than what two days ago yeah like like um there'd be an interesting inversion if you tried to fight blake with uh the horrors of his past right now because i think he would be more horrifying to them than vice yeah. versa it'd backfire a bit <laughs> he would feed off of them and they'd he'd get stronger probably <laughs> um so yeah blake now has wings i guess is the summary <laughs> um they're bat wings and he he realizes that they don't really give him enough lift to take off um he runs outside and basically has to dive over some hot fires to to use the heat to get enough lift to get him into the air yeah and so I want to make sure I'm understanding all this this wing stuff right because it was a bit confusing my first read through. But um, the the main wing joints, like the equivalent of the humerus on these wings, isn't strong enough to support the wings flapping. Mm. So when he wants to use the wings, he also has to like hold on to the whatever you call the elbow joint of a wing with his hands. So he's kind of like flapping it with his hands. Is that uh, I think so. It's yeah. a little it's a little hard to pass, but I think that happens at least at the start. Maybe his wings get a little stronger after. 
Yeah, I, I, it sort of became clear to me later on when he has things where he can't sheath the yes. hyena, so he has to drop it. And so, yeah, I agree. It took me a while to get to sort of grok what was happening, but I think it's like to actually use the wings, he has to hold them with his arms as well, which is just like a really interesting mechanic because you get arms and you get wings, but to kind of use the wings, you have to use both. up your arms. Yeah. It's I, I haven't seen that before, and it's just kind of a nice little twist to kind of, you know, vary it up. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I want to touch on these wings because like, okay, so I think that Blake feels victorious here and, and we're kind of getting a bit of this, yes, you, you had a little spat with the abyss, but you won kind of vibe, right? And, and, and Blake has wings, yes, and he didn't need to make a deal with the devil in air quotes to do so, but it, it kind of though. feels like... <laughs> <laughs> he, he he still did though like that, that well, was the yes, thing that stood out to exactly. me from when he when he thinks this i'm kind of like well you did promise it a bigger meal like what are you on about yeah and also like these wings were representative of him being a monster in his abyss nightmare right and so mm. what this really made me think was like it just feels like the abyss is manipulating him like oh yeah you beat me oh no no i didn't get the thing i wanted that's fine but you still have wings and you're gonna go fly around and fight shit and like that feels like it's what the Abyss wants anyway. It's kind of like a very hollow victory because regardless of the very small victory that you, you made in your negotiations with it, you're still doing exactly what it wants. Yeah. Like, obviously, I think the fact that they're part of that vision detracts from the sense of this is good. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't know. Like, I guess I think I remember saying a bunch in Arc 10 and and not being really proven right in any way that you know this this change could be good and you mm. know Blake should pick parts of his humanity and pick parts of the yeah. monstrousness to lean into this feels like what i was picturing back then this idea of Blake likes wings the abyss wants yeah. to give him wings so he can fuck shit up like this could be a sort of mutually reaffirming beneficial transformation um yeah. i'm less confident in that read because it's happening so late now that i'm kind of like well what Blake is there left yeah um uh, but like the, I, I'm cautiously optimistic about the wings because to me it represents that idea of like this is something that old school Blake would have wanted, and so maybe this is something that represents you know change for the better, which is essentially what Blake fights for to get the wings that he wants. Yeah, I don't know. My my read on it is like if something feels like it's a bit of a mixed bag, like partially a victory and partially a loss, that will surely as it has many times in the past in this story just come down to being it's a loss but you didn't really understand how bad at the time <laughs> i feel like we need some more definite wins that will actually turn to be mixed <laughs> bags rather than mixed bags that turn out to be definite losses i don't know i mean yeah i guess i i like obviously the jury's still out he only just got these wings to see how i feel at the end of the story uh, but for now, I'm I, I'm maintaining cautious optimism that this is an example of something that uh, can help Blake as much as it helps the Abyss. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, yeah, so he's he's made this trade off, uh, but his wings don't even let him fly properly, which is a bit <laughs> annoying. I'd be annoyed if I was Blake and I gave away more of my humanity and uh, or you know didn't give away my humanity, but promised to what sell a soul to the Abyss it and didn't even get proper like, wings. Yeah, it does feel like the Abyss kind of shortchanged him a bit. Um, yeah uh yeah i don't know maybe he well you know he's about to go into some woods hopefully there'll be plenty of material for him to maybe improve them a bit I, yeah I lots of trees he'll just take a break and do some lumberjacking and then fly yeah. up to the fly to catch up to the others i guess classic Bra blake break 
Um, so Blake, you know, takes a few cracks at taking off and he starts to kind of sputter to life with his wings, starts getting some lift, but is still reliant on these hot air currents to do so until Evan comes in and, uh, and you know, uses his Evan magic to, to help Blake fly. So I just want to read out this quote that Blake thinks as he's soaring over the fires and getting kind of close to some. Testing my ability to fly or to glide while literally above a trail of fire was perhaps not my smartest move. <laughs> and I mean, first of all, that's probably one of the most Blake things I've ever read. Um, because he's right. It is perhaps not his smartest move, but it's also probably not his dumbest. And I think that's very reflective of just who Blake is. And um, in a chapter where I feel like a lot of times I'm saying, hey, this feels like vintage Blake. I mean, here's another one. Like, yeah, I don't know. I'm getting... I'm getting a sense of hope again that, that Blake's in there somewhere this chapter and um, I'm waiting for that to get taken away again as the arc <laughs> progresses. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, you're right. And these moments of him flying around with Evan, you really do get this spirit of, despite the fact that there's a giant and a dragon there, you do get this kind of spirit of joy and fun that they're getting from mm. this, right? Oh, I, absolutely. This is a bit of a dream come true for, like, actual Blake. Yeah, yeah, and and Evan's cheery reaction to this really helps sell it, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's so good. E- Evan is so good at swooping in after dark or serious moments of this story and just brightening them up. Uh, his bit where they fly up really high and he makes like the, you know, this is the best call, this is the worst call joke mm-hmm. uh, is one of the funniest moments of the chapter. Um, it, yeah, I mean, I like Evan's just such a shining light in this story. Yes. Now this actually combined with the, my previous thought about the abyss still getting a, a win here. This actually made me a little uneasy because I kind of realized <laughs> that every time Blake makes one of these trade-offs where he sells a bit of his humanity away for some cool power, Evan is always there being like, whoa, that's so cool. That's so awesome. Which yes, it is, but it's like <laughs> it, it it kind of undercuts the horrifyingness that I think Blake should feel a bit more <laughs> when he makes these decisions. Yeah. I don't know, it, I, it makes me worry that Evan is actually kind of uh, glamouring over the horror and, and the, the slope that Blake is sliding down full speed. I mean, again, I'm going to lean into my explanation of, hey, this doesn't all have to be bad. And Evan sure. is just encapsulating that. Um but I mean, I think the thing that really stood out for me here with, with how Evan gets involved and helps to Blake, Blake to fly is that's such a, a perfect symbol for their relationship. Like it, you've talked in the past about like the whole idea of uh, Blake probably not having survived this long without Evan, like, uh, you know, him deciding to familiarize himself with Evan mm-hmm. kind of gave him the boost he needed to survive yeah. all these things he shouldn't have. And that's why he's still here. And I mean, that is so perfectly encapsulated with the idea that Blake has these broken wings yeah. that don't quite let him fly. They're not quite complete, but with the help of Evan, he's actually able to fly. Yeah, no, it's you're right. It is it is a very nice continuation of their relationship, right? Mm. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Again, cautiously optimistic. <laughs> um, so the giant and the dragon are trying to swat this wooden fly that is now buzzing around, annoying them. Um, but Blake is able to hold his own, and he he wind wakers this giant, stabbing it in the forehead <laughs> with the hyena, um, and then and then scrapes up the dragon's wing pretty bad as well. So good job, Blake. Good aerial combat. Um, yeah, we, we are sort of kind of glancing over a, a decent chunk of the chapter here. 
uh, just because it's mostly just this really fantastic fight scene. Um, yeah. I, I talked last chapter about how I was excited for some aerial combat. This wasn't at all what I expected, but it is even better. It's so like we haven't just we haven't just dived into this idea of Blake can now do like you know barrel barrel rolls and no. like you know is this ace pilot? He still he, feels very clumsy. Yeah, he's he's someone who's still learning on shit wings um and so he's like all over the place it feels so gritty and like he's barely staying afloat um meanwhile he's fighting like a very practiced duo in a lot yeah. of ways it's it's really fun so you know this we're only going to call out some little bits and pieces from a huge chunk of the chapter here but just just because it's not really the sort of stuff we talk about on here but it's it's really well written yeah it, it actually blake isn't really fighting the dragon and the giant for most of it he, he's avoiding them he doesn't really land any blows until the end the main yeah. thing he's fighting is just gravity right just like <laughs> learning how to fly but he, of course because it's blake he's doing most of this learning to fly within arm's reach of the yes. giant yes uh which makes it you know a lot more action-packed yeah um i i'm not sure what to like i don't know what to make of the implications of of this standstill so so the battle kind of ends with uh blake injuring the dragon and the giant a bit and he gets injured a bit and then he flies off and they don't chase him which he takes to mean as okay we're calling this one a draw right and I, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure what the ramifications of that are um it feels like the giant and the dragon give up a little easily easily which maybe means that it was meant to end this way or maybe that I don't know that Blake stabbing this giant was enough of a, you know, enough of a, 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 a don't do this, that, that it was kind <laughs> of, um, the giant is shocked a little bit and, and trusts that karma is going to take care of Blake now. Yeah. Well, cause that's the interesting thing, um, is the, the phrasing that Blake remembers in this chapter and that was mentioned last chapter is that you shouldn't touch giants, not to not kill them, but yes. that, like, it's kind of, you're going to get people up in arms, apparently, even if you just touch them, which are like dropping half of a sword in the forehead of one seems like it would qualify. Yeah. Except it doesn't seem to, like, it doesn't uh, kill it. It doesn't, like, it doesn't even I, seem to hurt it. I don't know. Well, I guess for the giant, having the hyena dropped in your head is sort of the equivalent of, like, a wasp sting or something. Yeah, I guess. Uh, but, yeah, like, I do I, I do agree. There's sort of a sense of, even though the dragon had lost its ability to fly, which really feels like the main win for Blake here, yeah. uh, it, it does kind of feel like they, they were just too willing to give up. And I don't know exactly what, you know, they're meant to be achieving here. We don't know what Johannes sent them out to do exactly. Mm. It may have just been to distract and maybe they've accomplished that. Um but there yeah there there is a bit of a sense of they were too willing to call it a draw considering how much better they are in general yeah i i guess it's fair to keep in mind that these aren't others that johannes has like bound these are favors that he's calling in so it's probably fair to assume that these these aren't others that are gonna like get themselves killed for this fight yeah you're right once they're injured they're probably like man fuck this yeah Um. i'll just stay at a different hotel (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so i think the other thing i want to just quickly mention is blake has his you know his new wings his wings made out of shitty old sweatshirt and uh the first thing he targets is the dragon's wing membrane and that's basically how he incapacitates it for now um and i like i don't quite know what to read into it yet but it feels just very poetic this idea of the guy who just got cool wings has just instantly taken out the enemy with wings by attacking said (laughs) wings yeah uh, like it's sort of this sense of uh you know no wings are wings are my thing 
Fuck mm. off. Yeah, maybe it's just him realizing that wings are actually more of a vulnerability than you might initially well, yeah, think. Exactly. Either that or it sets a very bad tone for the wings he just acquired. Yes. Um, there's a great line by Evan as they're flying away from this battle where Evan says, <laughs> Oh man, I could hear Evan as he kept me aloft. Oh man. It's going to be so hard to keep you alive now, <laughs> which is so true. Like, yeah, Blake did not need more mobility to throw himself into suicidal situations. Yeah, absolutely spot on, Evan. Like, this is the last thing he needed in that regard. Mm, yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that the chapter ends here with Blake and co heading off to Mara's hut, ready to face whatever awaits them in the forest. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited for this. This was a fun little detour, and Blake, Blake leveled up in a way, but... Um... Now we're sort of back to the actual point of the mission, and um, I mean, yeah, like I, I don't think Mara is the is the puppeteer here, mm. but I do think she's going to have incredibly fucked up shit at her heart. Oh, she always so, does. Um, I'm very excited for this confrontation that will presumably end in Blake realizing this isn't even where he needs to be. Um, I mean, what would be funny again is uh, if it, like you, do you remember in Signature when Mags went on that fucking epic journey to get to Mara's heart? Yeah. And then it was like, Mara, will you help me? And she's like, no. Nah. And then it was like, okay. Um, it could be funny if we see something like that again. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, I'm not, I'm not convinced Mara is, is the puppeteer, but I think she will be um, someone that they probably shouldn't have gone and fucked with. Yes. Uh, it seems like she's, uh, she's always aware enough of what's going on that she probably has some info, but will be very, very reluctant to share it. I mean, honestly, probably the best thing that could happen for Blake and co right here is if Corviday shows up, because if he, I assume he's still bound to Blake because it's still the night time. Mm. So hopefully his way of being useful is to help them like not talk to each other, basically <laughs> to just stop the confrontation because that's kind of a win-win and that's maybe the best he can do. Um, of course, he's cleverer than me, so Corviday will probably find a way to be helping Blake and make it worse. Yes, we'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah, this was an interesting little chapter. It, 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 it was short. It felt really short, but it did give us a taste of aerial combat, which is nice. And I'm sure we'll see mm. more aerial tricks uh, throughout the rest of the story. Yeah, um, I agree. That should be fine. Like it's, it's kind of a, a chapter that was half horror section, half, uh, fight. Um, y- yeah, like for me, this chapter sort of reminded me a lot of how effective Blake can be like Blake proper, not, not like, you know, Blake the boogeyman that we've known him recently, who's yeah. obviously effective in his own way. Yeah. Uh, but like this, this is sort of the resurgence of the vintage Blake way of dealing with stuff. Um, and it was, it was really nice to see. Yeah. A lot of classic Blake stuff this chapter. Yeah. Um, that's the end of Cinedia 14.4. Uh, but it's time for us to loop back around and take a look at some discussion question answers to our previous discussion question, which was talking about places that may have fallen into the abyss. And with all of these world building y lore kind of ones, man, we got so many good answers. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I, I really think we did. So uh, why don't we just dive straight in? Sure. Um, so uh, we, of course, got a, an answer about Atlantis from Love TV. Thank you, Love TV. Um, but there were some interesting twists on it. Uh, Love TV kind of talked about the idea of Atlantis being um, very opulent. And so mm. they imagined that Atlantis would be occupied by people who either had or have riches or were prideful and kind of have fallen from grace and now are in uh, this abyssal location, which is kind of always sinking but never quite reaching the bottom, which is a touch that I liked. 
Yeah, that was a, a nice little line. Um, yeah, because so I might be wrong, but like, isn't the original sort of myth of Atlantis built around the idea that the gods kind of got envious of mm. uh, Atlantis and, and sunk it um, with the tidal waves and earthquakes or whatever? And like that feels like it could fit into Pact very well as this idea of if there was a human settlement doing very well, the gods of the time may have just been like oh, fuck this shit and uh ganged up on them so yeah uh, it does feel it does feel very pactish or even just an envious patron of a god invoking their wrath on it yeah yeah exactly um we had a really cool uh, answer as well from megafire 7 who talked about something i'd never heard of um called sanikov land oh yeah this is a great one and uh so this is like a an island that was claimed to be a discovered by this russian explorer called yakov sanikov so of course he just called it sanikov land which <laughs> you know i'm not going to pretend i wouldn't do the same yeah um but it, it kind of seems to not exist like nobody's ever sort of managed to find it and it's not where it is on the charts yeah uh and there's a bunch of kind of scientific explanations for what might have gone on here uh but megafire likes the idea that this may have been uh the domain of like a russian practitioner that kind of tried to form a domain out in, out in the middle of nowhere so it would be easier to claim a large section and then you know whatever they were planning to do there didn't work because it was so far out in the middle of nowhere there was nothing to anchor it to reality and it slipped through which yeah. I, I really like that yeah no it's a cool idea like having a private island domain and and not quite realizing that mistake you kind of do the mm. ritual and nobody turns up to 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 you know combat to challenge you and you're kind of like oh sweet but then you slowly realize the mistake you've made as your domain is not tethered to anything like i could imagine them coming back and being like hey i've discovered sanikov land with some desperate attempt as it started sinking to kind of find innocence <laughs> yeah. to bring yeah yeah no it's a it's a definitely a fun answer um Here's one that I really liked by Brawl97, um, talking about a Chinese city called Beishuan, um, which in 2008 had a huge earthquake that, that, that led to a lot of, a lot of fatalities and, and like 80% of the buildings were destroyed. And following this, it was completely abandoned. Uh, everyone was relocated and the town was just converted into a kind of a, a memorial park, an abandoned town. Um, which is very, I don't know, it it, it, it feels very uh, pre-Abyss. Yeah, oh, that feels like the story that could be getting told about Jacob's Bell six months from mm. uh, Like, I, yeah, that well, that totally adds up to me. I, I liked this answer a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was a good one. I, it felt a little recent, which is why I don't want to talk about it too much, because obviously mm. there are people still alive that were affected by this today, but... I, I can see it turn the seeds of a myth here. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, uh, David L. Hunt brought the other answer that I think um, sort of had to be done, uh, <laughs> and that was that was Roanoke, uh, the colony, which for those who don't know, I think was the first attempt at a permanent settlement uh, in America by the, the British, um, and the supply chain kind of got a bit futzed because, you know, such a long trip back then. Uh, so when the supplies finally arrived, the camp was just found abandoned. There was, mm. there was no one left, and the words Roanoke were just painted on uh, a wall or something. And um, there's lots of reasonable explanations for what happened here, uh, but David has what I think is the most reasonable explanation, which is that they all fell into the abyss uh, because the lack of supplies sort of uh, emblemized the lack of connection they had to the world at the time, and they, they all fell down. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Roanoke has been kind of... Uh... 
there have been a lot of uh, theories about Rona, about you know the Roanoke settlement, right? Um, yeah, I, and uh, I, I do. It does fit so well with the Abyss vibe. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's very. It's it's kind of like the uh, the Mary Celeste or the Bermuda Triangle, right? It's the it's the <laughs> classic super uh, supernatural style. Um, like mm. the perfect blend of something that could lead into a, a ghost story. Yeah. See, see the Bermuda Triangle. I reckon that's that's someone's domain that's poking into the abyss or something. That's where. Oh, that's yeah. where all. That's where all Crooked Hat has his domain. Actually, <laughs> I could see that. I could see that. Maybe. Why not? Um, I think my favorite answer to the discussion question was by uh, Juanson Juanson, um, who kind of starts out by talking about how just people leaving a place or dying probably isn't enough to send something into the abyss because otherwise, you know, we would never discover any ruins ever. Um, so there must be more active intervention. And they kind of segue from this to talk about this old Breton legend about a city called uh, Kea Is, um, which was this city that was built below sea level with these great big uh, dikes to keep the water out, right? And they had mm. uh, gates that could be opened at low tide to let ships in, right? And there's this key, and the only copy of the key was with the king. And the legend kind of goes that the daughter of the king, the princess, was tricked into opening the gates at high tide, which then flooded the city and destroyed it. Um, and the king kind of escaped uh, on horseback with the daughter. Um, although we'll get to that later. Well, uh, yeah, not quite. <laughs> yes. So so Hansen kind of makes a, a fun uh, observation that this feels like a, a myth that was created to kind of back explain something that happened um and actually this was probably a practitioner battle with enchantresses uh probably uh, enchanting the princess and leading to her stealing the key to open the gate um and the kind of final bit that ties this all together is as the king was escaping with his daughter he he kind of had a vision uh, that he needed to sacrifice her in order to escape and so threw her off of the horse uh, as she for her you know so she drowned um mm. which ties back into the idea of needing to sacrifice something of value in order to enter the abyss uh, which we saw when uh, Blake took a little shortcut through the abyss to get outside um so presumably sacrificing your daughter would kind of trigger this abyss entry which now means that this entire city could quite easily be sunk into the abyss um which yes. is so perfect. It all ties together so nicely. And in fact, it's so perfect that I'm now headcanoning that Green Eyes is actually this princess, Princess De Hood, who has become a mermaid. <laughs> Man, she's been in the abyss for a long time. Yeah. Um, I wanted to just quote an answer from uh, BGO Miko, mm-hmm. uh, who you know, they basically just sort of say Sodom and Gomorrah and Jericho uh, from, from the Bible. Uh, seem like examples of places that were just dropped into the abyss uh which you know is obviously like i think i think the quote at least for sodom and gomorrah isn't it just that they got hit with fire and brimstone like yeah kind of seems like it could be an explanation for just <laughs> like, ye- yeeting them into the abyss yeah um and uh so uh Bijo Mika also makes the connection that um somebody should check to make sure that nobody's circling jacob's bell blowing some kind of horn which uh is kind of like what molly's doing yeah. um so i i I don't know if that's what uh, Wavo is going for because that's that's a very niche connection, but it actually works very well. Yeah, yeah, it does. It, it's a good uh, it's a good link, and we'll see if it eventuates. I suppose. Mm. Um, I want to pull out one more, which is by Beard of Valor, uh, who calls out um, not a specific place, but kind of talks about uh, Route sixty six. Which, uh, if you're not familiar, um, Route sixty six was a was a highway route that ran across. 
uh, a lot of America until eventually uh, there was an interstate highway system that was kind of a modernized highway designed to mobilize the military more quickly, uh, which meant that, that Route 66 was functionally replaced. And so a lot of the towns and uh, shops that were built along this road uh, kind of got cut off from a regular supply of cars, which is mm. the perfect setting for a town or a, a shop or anything to just kind of slip through the cracks. Exactly, yeah. right? Just just by chance, by this highway being built, nobody passes by anymore. And so without traffic, it just kind of slips away. Um, yeah, I, I absolutely love this idea. Um, and I think yeah. it, it's it's uh, been touched on in a number of uh, pieces of pop culture, which... Uh, again, means mm. that it's probably the perfect setting for, for a, a little uh, packed short story or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so for my last one, I just quickly wanted to give some credit to Kirkistan, who talked about um, Macando Macando from mm-hmm. 100 Years of Solitude. Um, it, this seemed like a good answer, but I'm not familiar with the story, uh, so I didn't understand what Kirkistan <laughs> was talking about at all. <laughs> Um, which is more embarrassing because that was one of the Doof Book Club books like five months ago. It was like two ago. or three months ago, was it? Oh, yeah. five months ago, yeah. <laughs> I think it was in the middle of the year. Anyway, either way, uh, it's something I should probably know more about, so that's embarrassing. So, Kirkistan, <laughs> good, good effort, I think. Um, good effort by everyone. Yeah. These were some great answers. absolutely loved it. Um, yeah, I had a lot of fun with the And now this it's the part of the show where we would normally do a new discussion question. So, what is it, Elliot? Uh, okay, so this week's discussion question is... Not happening, uh, because our <laughs> recording schedule is a bit of a mess. Yes. Uh, so we thought what we might try instead uh, is basically just doing a Q and A. Uh, so for about the next two weeks, uh, we'll be you know just submit us any questions you might have that you want us to answer. I guess pre- preferably about Pact, but even if it's not and we think it's interesting, I guess we'll we'll try and talk about it. Um, but yeah, uh, so you know, uh, it's I guess you guys ask the discussion question to to us this time. Yeah, um, yeah, ask us some questions, and uh, in a little bit we'll be on uh, to to answer them, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so so it's about the next like three or four weeks that where our recording schedule's off because of the holidays. So uh, for the first half of that, we'll be taking questions that we'll talk about, and then. Uh, I think the second or third week of January, we'll be back on um, regular discussion questions. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we'll get Tony Jones on and he'll help uh, facilitate our <laughs> questions and answers. And, uh, it'll be great. Um, who, who is that? Who's that reference for? <laughs> for? For all the other Australians that know what Q&A is, I guess. Uh, if you're not an Australian, then sorry, just some of these jokes aren't for you, I guess. Uh, but anyway, thanks for joining us. Uh, leave your leave your questions uh, in the discussion thread, which will be linked. <laughs> or uh, email them to us at mediamdpodcast at gmail.com uh yeah and if you if you didn't get enough doof out of deep impact this week uh that's fine we get it head on over to doofmedia.com where you can find out about all the rest of doof and what's happening with with everything else on the network yes and we should probably again talk about all packed up the 24-hour live stream that we're doing at the end of this show uh, because this show will be unfortunately coming to an end on march 7th but we'll do a 24-hour live stream it'll be a lot of fun um if you have ideas for things you'd love to see us do there Again, uh, leave it in the discussion thread or email us. Um, we've already got yes. a few great suggestions from people yeah. uh, in the comments of the YouTube video, so that's great. <laughs> um, yeah, so and obviously, uh, you know, that video with more details on, on what exactly is happening is, uh, well, I mean, there's a copy of the audio of that in the podcast feed directly above or below this episode, mm-hmm. uh, but that audio also has a link to the video, which is uh, better, I think. 
Uh, so, you know, if you if you if this is the first you're hearing about it, go check it out. Yeah, if you want to know what our faces look like and do they match our voices, that video is the place <laughs> to go. Um, of course, this show, despite the fact that it's coming to an end soon, would only exist at all. Uh, sorry, th- that sentence was a bit of a mess, wasn't it? Let's try again. <laughs> this show wouldn't exist at all without the, uh, the support of all our lovely patrons. Um, if you'd like to become a patron, head on over to patreon.com forward slash doofmedia. Yes, and of course, as we like to mention, uh, Wabo has a patron, uh, patreon.com forward slash Wabo, and you know, if you donate to him, he won't fall into the abyss, and that's a win-win, double win for Wabo. Mm-hmm, yes. Um, man, we need to do a discussion question about tech startups that have fallen into the abyss, because that, <laughs> there's some interest oh, in there, I think. That'd be a juicy vein, absolutely. Yes. Um, we work is the big one at the moment, right? What is happening with that place? Anyway. Oh, uh, Peloton. <laughs> um, so what were we talking about? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I guess that's the end of this episode. And uh, we'll be back soon uh, on Friday the 13th of December, actually, for CineDA uh, 14.5. So we will see you then. <laughs> see ya. See ya.